0: change. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> It'll grow back. That's right. Don't fret. My word. I hope it grows back. Amen. Second Samuel chapter four is where we're going to look this morning. So we have went through First Samuel, and we've been studying about David. You may recall. You may recall that we talked about. David's relationship with Saul, the evil Saul, and everything that Saul did against David and troubled him for so long. And then we talked about, anybody remember Jonathan? We talked about the friendship, the covenant that David had with Jonathan. And then we talked about peace last week and how you ought to have peace in your home. God can minister peace unto you. Well, today we're going to talk about grace. So first, or, I'm sorry, Second Samuel, chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this. Now, before I read this, has anybody ever read one of those one-sentence stories? You know, where it's like just one line, but it tells a story. Like, man had shoes, lost shoes, had calluses on feet, or something like that. It's a whole story in one sentence. Well, this is one scripture that tells quite a story, if you'll pay attention to it. Chapter 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Remember David's king now, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Ammiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely Show the kindness, show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore. Everybody say, Restore. Restore. I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. I want to point out a few things in this set of scriptures that we've read before we start digging into it, and that is that several times what we just read, when it said Mephibosheth, It said, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. (coughs) Also, this young man was lame for a very young age. David searched for him. And you remember that phrase that we talked about last week that's the most occurring two-word phrase in the Bible? Fear not or be not afraid is what David spoke to him and you're going to eat bread at my table continually. We're talking about grace today, and that's exactly what happened in this story. Now, I want to share with you sort of an anecdote here. It was a long-awaited visit to the lady's parents' home, so So understandably this young mother wanted everything to go perfectly today. Her two small children were usually well-behaved, usually, And she was proud to present them to her parents. And during the visit, as her little boy was sitting at the table, he insisted that his tea be in a glass rather than the usual sippy cup. And against her better judgment, she gave him a glass, but only half full. So if there was an accident, it would only be half the mess. Sure enough, as he was raising the glass, it slipped from his hand and crashed to the floor. Tea went everywhere. And the young mother went running toward him and yelling at the same time, why didn't you hold on to it? What's the matter with you? Always use two hands. And the little boy began to sob as the ranting continued and continued. And she frantically tried to sop up the tea stains from the carpet in the dining room. And suddenly a still small voice got her attention. And God seemed to say, I've never scolded you when you dropped a glass. I've only lovingly cleaned up your mess and held you in my arms as you cried. And she immediately stopped what she was doing, got up and took her son in her arms, and she consoled the young boy. And as she did it, she raised her hand to heaven and thanked God for his mercy and grace during all the times that she made mistakes. Time and time again, he was always there to clean up the mess and not scold her i'm talking about grace this morning now a lot of people preach grace without preaching the other half of it and that is that yes he's a gracious god but also he's a righteous judge amen so we ought not to get this idea that god never punishes anybody whatsoever because that is not a fact and if we ever get that in our minds, that's when people become seared of a conscience and begin to think, I can really just do whatever I want to. And there won't be any consequences. But there is a book in this Bible that's well devoted to the consequences in some parts in Revelation of the wicked. It's going to, it tells pretty well what's going to happen in judgment. He's a just, righteous judge. And so he shows grace But there is a time when that's going to have its opportunity. And it's no longer going to be there. And that's why I want to be right with God. Amen. Every day, I want to be right with God. Make sure when I get up and when I go to bed that that hadn't changed. Amen. And so it's always necessary to repent. It's always appropriate to repent. Amen. And so here we have this story of David and Mephibosheth. Can anybody say Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. Amen. And it's at the beginning here of a relationship with him. Now, we we know that David knew his father very well. We've talked about this. Jonathan and David were best of friends. Mm -hmm. And over time, an intense loyalty developed between David and Mephibosheth's dad. And their relationship was deeper than just a typical connection with somebody across the street or somebody that's just an acquaintance. We know that they had a covenant. There was a covenant between the two men. And by all rights, Jonathan, this is important, being the firstborn king of of Saul, should have been the successor to the throne. He should have received everything and, and the throne of Israel would have been his. However, God rejected Saul. We know that God rejected Saul and his rebellion and chose David and his descendants instead. So... Somebody like Jonathan could have got really, really mad because legally, technically, by custom, he should have received the riches and the throne. Really, in the society, he was everybody was bound to that. Until this man dies, he's going to get that throne. It's not what happened god has a way of rearranging what we think is order and the question is today will you be okay when god chooses to use the person on the pew next to you are you all right with that can you rejoice with them that rejoice even though it didn't happen to you? Right. Yes. Can we rejoice in the revival of the church down the road when they're having revival? Come on. Amen. Can we preach, even though we're a preacher, with the guy who gets the opportunity instead of us? Can we worship when it's not us on the platform? Come on. I'm talking about real questions here now because we have a problem with that sometimes when somebody else is getting the recognition when God is using somebody else you know it's his choice he can use whoever he wants to and it can be you it doesn't have to be you it'll be somebody else if it's not you he's going to use somebody for his end time revival but it's not always us now God's plan is not corrupted it's definitely not corrupted if we're not the one that gets used. But it's always going to work out for God's purpose. And so if he is using somebody else, it is time to rejoice. That's right. God's will is being carried out. Amen. And so this is what happened here. It was not Jonathan's fault that David received the throne, Jonathan did nothing to have the throne taken away from him. It was his father that did now Jonathan seemed to be at peace with the workings of God putting David in his spot despite his unreasonable father so he had a good attitude about it and with his gifted musical talent we know that David had opportunities to be in the palace all the time whenever he was called upon to soothe what the Bible says was a disturbed spirit that Saul had and Uh, There's some people that believe this to be a medical thing. I don't know whether it's true or not that he was bipolar or something of that nature. But we do know that the Bible says that it was a spirit that came upon him. And the Lord had part in that. He was orchestrating the fall of the people's chosen king, Saul, and putting up the man that was right for the hour in David. And many times David even sat at the table with royalty and was treated as part of the royal family. And when Saul threatened to kill David, Jonathan, Saul's son, was the one who warned him. He was the one who stepped out and did what was right. And Saul's rage failed to tarnish this relationship between Jonathan and David. He couldn't break that friendship. And after two separate attempts on his life, David was warned by Jonathan to leave the palace. Never come back. Just go. He'll end up killing you. And David began his life as a fugitive, the Bible tells us, fleeing the palace, living on the run, hiding in a cave. And before he left, however, he had one last encounter with Jonathan in which they made the covenant that we talked about here just a few Sundays ago. And David's respect for the man of God that God had anointed to be king transcended the hatred that Saul had for him. Even though Saul was ready to kill him, David still respected him. This is the man that God has given power. I'm going to respect it. And so it was when David had finished speaking words to Saul. Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I. Now this is Saul recognizing that David was more fit to be a king than he was. If you, for you have rewarded me with good, as I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day now you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore. Now this is important. Swear now to me by the Lord. That you will not cut off my descendants after me. And that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. And Saul went home. And David and his men went up to the stronghold. The man that had multiple times. Attempted to kill David. Is pleading at this moment. In understanding. Don't kill my household. I understand that I'm deserving of it. I understand that I've done anything imaginable. To deserve. Death. And death for the rest of my family. But I'm pleading with you. As you're a righteous man. Don't destroy. My father's house. And David made that covenant. Now, this is completely irregular. What normally would have happened is, somebody who knew they were taking the throne, they probably would have said, well, sorry, uh, you're gonna have to come with me and my men. We're gonna take you out back and all your sons too. And it's my throne now. That's what normally would have happened. And they would have eliminated any potential of Saul's sons coming back and taking the throne. David didn't do that. And there was a person a servant in the house of Saul by uh, the name of Ziba and being uh, the residence of the former king living in that uh, that kingdom this was probably a large and lavish compound for sure when Saul was killed in battle everything changed for this servant everything was different it was unsure what was going to happen and the Bible says uh, ish this was um, the, the son of it was another son in the family of Saul he began to take the throne and it's not clear if this man resided in the same location as Saul but the land and the houses were referred to as Saul's household and so ish is coming in now and it's all going to be his kingdom but we know that David ended up taking the kingdom and King David became ruler under the direction of God and was careful to be, obey every command of God whereas Saul was not And Ziba, no doubt, watched as David carefully began to put in faithful men in positions of leadership. And he's watching. He's a servant of the kingdom. And he's watching. David puts in this well-behaved and well-known, respected man here and this one there. And now there's all of a sudden a righteous kingdom that is rising up. And perhaps while reflecting on these faithful men that he sees all around him, David began to wonder who among Saul's relatives were still alive and a part of his kingdom. And so he contacted this servant of Saul, Ziba, knowing he had lived in Saul's household, and asked him, Ziba, is there anybody living today that was a part of Saul's household who I can show kindness today? And we don't know for sure, but it may have been possible that Ziba was already employed by Saul when David frequented the place and at the king's table. But nonetheless, David remembered the oath between him and his dearest friend, Jonathan. And upon inquiry, David learned of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. And this is who this story is centered around, Mephibosheth. It's an interesting story about this young man. If we just come upon it and he's dropped as a child, and now he is impaired and uh, what, what what a terrible way to start this young man's story you know and uh, it, it's not coincidence folks it's not coincidence and this is why it is so helpful to really study out words in your Bible I'm going to show you this morning Mephibosheth was just a child when news of the deaths of his granddad and his dad was proclaimed and in The haste to flee in fear that he would be the next one to die. The nurse dropped Mephibosheth and he became crippled. And Mephibosheth grew up as an orphan and then in somebody else's home. And we do not know how old Mephibosheth was when he was taken to David. But he was old enough to have a son at that point. Still crippled. And Mephibosheth thought, surely David now intended to kill him. He had found the next one in line. This is my time. And as he approached David, surely the thoughts he was preparing his mind for, this is about to be my execution. It's going to be the end for me. I won't see my son any longer. And Mephibosheth called himself in chapter 9 and verse 8, a dead dog to the mighty king David. He feared for his life, and he was surely afraid. David had made an oath to Mephibosheth's father, though, Jonathan. And this was the day that David would honor the oath. Do you think that today people take oaths as seriously as they used to in the Bible? Things have changed, folks, because in this time... If you made an oath and you did not keep it it was considered highly punishable sometimes by death and so if you made a promise you're gonna keep it unless you're prepared to meet your maker and so today you know people it's it's common to just make an oath for the benefit of yourself and never carry through with it it's broken promises it's what we the world we're living in today. But this was not that time, and David had made an oath. Now, I want to reread this first text scripture so you, you can get a really good understanding of this here. And and this is verse four of chapter four. And Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old, very young. When the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. In order to understand what's going on here, you've got to understand this young man's name. The Hebrew name is actually pronounced Mephibosheth, meaning from the mouth of God Bashtu. And what that means is from the mouth of shame. Mephibosheth, from the mouth of shame. Never in his wildest dreams did Mephibosheth think he would end up back in a palace eating at the king's table. But that is what David offered his best friend's son, and when King David called for him, he came before the throne with humility and reverence. The Bible says he fell on his face, declaring his servitude to David, I'll do whatever you want, and David could see the fear in the eyes and the actions of Mephibosheth. He had no need to be afraid though because David would show grace today and David let Mephibosheth know his grandfather's land would be restored to him and he was welcome to eat at the king's table every day I'm going to tell you what happened here I'm telling you this is why it's so good to really study out a story of the Bible before you just read through it and go past it Saul Evil Saul. People chosen Saul, not God chosen. Did evil in the sight of the Lord day after day. Spirits tormented him and he continued to do evil. Tried to kill the chosen man, David. And was even highly angered toward his son, Jonathan. That was not Jonathan's fault. Jonathan dealt with that. And Jonathan received punishment because of Saul's actions. He did not receive a throne. And he would die before David would. It's passed on to Jonathan, the actions of Saul. And then the actions of Saul are then passed on to Mephibosheth. And he's the son of shame because of the actions of his granddad. What this is all illustrating this morning is a word called iniquity. There is sin. Everybody sins. At some point in your life, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then there is iniquity. And iniquity is gross sin in the eyes of God that very often carries on Through generations. Anybody ever heard of generational curses? Talking about a dad dealing with some struggle or sin. Then it gets passed on to the son. And then he passes it on to his son. And then it goes down to his son. And at some point, the curse has got to be broken. Somebody's got to make the decision... I'm going to live for God, Amen. And I'm not going to let what has bound me yes. Yes. bound my children, yes. Amen. And it takes a lot of prayer, it takes devotion, it takes strength. But at some point, you got to break iniquity out of your family. Right. They're not going to deal with the things that I dealt with. And what had happened here is. Saul was thinking that the punishment was all on him, but it came all the way down to his grandson being a son of shame. That's what he was named. And he was crippled. And in the fulfillment of his oath to Jonathan, David restored Mephibosheth's inheritance. It's significant that David restored to Saul's land to Mephibosheth because this was the heritage of his grandfather and his father. Everything that those men could have had. I'm going to give to you. And I'm going to break that curse. Yes. Iniquity is not going to be in you. Yes. It's not going to carry on. Through the rest of my family and your family. It's not going to happen. Some, somebody. Someone has to come to a point. In an altar. Where they kill off sin. Yes. Amen. It cannot be. Folks I'm sorry. But Repentance. Is not just words. There has to be a shedding off of sin. And it has to be where it's left right here. And it's not carried back with you. Because the mistake that a lot of people make. We know that salvation is three part ordained of God. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus name. You've got to receive the Holy Ghost. Evidence of speaking in another tongue. Now that's Bible scripture. I won't go a mile into that this morning. But. A lot of times, we skip right past repentance real quick. Get it done. Yeah. And boy, we, you know, Holy Ghost and baptism. And I don't belittle those things today. But we ought to spend a little bit of time on repentance. Amen. And make sure we get it all out. Yes. Because what happens is people do not fully repent. They receive the Holy Ghost. They're baptized. And they leave. And they're dealing with tons of the same stuff. Because they didn't take enough time to shed it off and alter altar. It's just real talk this morning, but that's what happens. You have to die off to sin. You really got to die off to sin. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm helping somebody this morning, but if you feel like you're still struggling with something, it's time to get in an altar and let God kill that off. Lord, take it off of me. Amen. I crucify the flesh. Amen. Amen. And, and I, I get rid of the old man. It's got to be gone. And all those things that I used to do. And now Mephibosheth is in the kingdom. The son of shame. Sitting at the king's table. Because with God. Not everything that dies stays dead. Not every son of shame stays a son of shame. Praise God. It don't happen that way because there's sometimes when there's a valley of dry bones, they're dead, and before everybody's eyes, they walk. Amen. There's just sometimes that the man Lazarus is raised up. And there's sometimes when people have leprosy that it's wiped clean. Not everything that dies stays dead in the hands of God. Amen. Amen. And so, if there's some part of your life this morning that you feel like is dead, you'll let God raise it to life yes. this morning. Amen. Great. And He'll do it. He'll do it. And He'll restore you, though you feel like a son of shame, to the king's table our God is not a God of destruction he's a God of restoration he's not in the business of tearing down people's lives and making you feel horrible amen you ought not feel horrible every time you come to church at some point you need to find the joy of the Lord amen and that's why in this pulpit we're going to preach conviction we're not afraid to preach it but we're not going to let that be the only thing we're going to preach victory and joy because that's part of God too Amen. We don't shy away from the major issues of our world. Now, I heard a story this week that somewhere north, south, east, and west of here, (laughs) uh, there was an evangelist that was having dinner with a bishop. So uh, a man that's highly respected in the church, and there was a man that was over missions home missions and starting churches that were sitting at the table with him i honestly i don't know who these people are but uh, it's a true story maybe i don't need to know who they are Uh, but they were sitting with this evangelist well-known man of god anointed man of god and they they said brother we want you to come preach there is 20 home missions churches that just got started in our state and we want you to come and preach. And what, what we're going to do, we're going to make it to where we know there's are small churches. They can't afford for, to, to pay for you to stay in a place and everything. So we're going to pay you to do it. Don't worry about anything. But they need evangelism, so we want you to go do it. But there's one condition. <clears throat> this piece of paper that I'm handing you has 20 words or phrases that we do not want you to preach on because we don't want to lose people from these home missions churches. <laughs> and the brother, and I, I can tell you it is because it's for the Martin Ballestero. He was the evangelist. Uh, he took the piece of paper and set his fork down. And when his eyebrows finally came back into place, He began to read the piece of paper that said things like alternative lifestyles and adultery. You know, all these things that are hot topics that everybody's uncomfortable with, you know. God's not uncomfortable with it. He speaks out pretty clearly about it. That is right. But he begins to read this list. And all he could do was slip the piece of paper back to the bishop and shake his head. And there wasn't another word said at that dinner. And he didn't go preach at them places. He called him and he said, if you want me to preach, you're not going to tell me what God wants me to preach. Amen. So here's the deal. We we don't come in here. I want you to understand this. I only go, I, I was taught, how to be a minister by that man and they are teaching this morning. And what we believe is that we're going to preach what God gives us. That's right. And if we shy away from the things that are the culture of the day, everybody's going to just keep on dealing with them and they'll never get deliverance from it. That's right. But we ought to feel free if God gives us a word to speak a word. Amen. Amen. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. But thank God for making me uncomfortable. Amen. Sometimes I need to be made uncomfortable. Because I can't live right on my own. I need help from God. And sometimes I need to be told, you don't need to do that. And that's sin. And it's wrong. It's going to be black and white. We're not going to have a gray area. I don't want a gray area. I don't want to have to worry about on judgment day if I got this right or wrong. I want to know now. Amen. And so my thought of it is, preacher, preach to me. Amen. Tell me what's right. Tell me what's wrong. But we don't just stay on that. We want you to know that God will give you victory over it. And He'll give you joy. And it's not all conviction. God wants to lift you up. He wants to give you peace and he wants you to laugh. Yes. People don't preach on laughing. But you know what? Laughter's of God. Yes, Yes, it is. And so there's a balance, you understand. Sometimes God wants to encourage. Sometimes he wants to discourage you out of what you're doing. Sometimes he wants to convict. Sometimes he wants to uplift you. Sometimes he wants to challenge you. And sometimes he just wants to teach you like the setting that we're in right now. You've got to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying. That's right. And we don't come in here saying, well, you know, I think this morning we're just going to tear everybody a new one. That's not, that's not what we do. We search for what the Word of God is for the day. How many could say this morning you'd like a word from God? You don't don't want a word from Brother Ryan. You want a word from God. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. You don't want a a pre-screened word from a a board of people that makes sure that we're not saying things we don't need to. But you want to really hear a a non-corrupted word from God that nobody's trying to form into their own word to make it sound right. Amen. And so... He's in the business of restoration. If you feel convicted in a service, it's not because somebody's trying to beat you over the head. It's because God wants to change you. That's right. How I many know there's struggle in the process of transformation? Amen. When the piece of sand is in the oyster, it's a struggle that happens to create that pearl that God wants to make. To be given a seat at the king's table. The son of shame is now sitting at the king's table. Amen. Those who surrounded the king in the closest proximity of his daily meals were the people that he trusted the most. Because while he's distracted eating his food, disarmed, somebody could easily take him down. There was some trust there. Yeah. from Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, a man that he didn't even really know that well. It was an honor to sit at the king's table. Now, folks, every single one of us in sin have become a son of shame. Right. That's right. Every one of us. Bless We got to that point where our life had to be changed. Without it, we were just a son of shame. We battled trying to get through it, trying to make things work, not living for God, and it didn't work out. But God still gives a seat at his table for a son of shame. God will still allow you to sit at his table. And I'll tell you how I know it's it's absolutely scriptural. Because in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everybody who's a son of God is going to be at that supper. And you'll no longer be a son of shame. You'll be a son of God. And you'll eat next to him. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. No longer a son of shame. When we show God that we no longer want to be a part of that, He will take the name son of shame off of us and put the name Jesus upon us where we can now sit at his table amen and he shows grace to people who did not deserve it and even David would say You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God has prepared a table for you in the presence of everything that's given you struggle. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. Amen. Amen. So that you can eat. In front of everything. That gave you struggle in your life. Amen. The context is in the house of a gracious host. Who just so happens to be God. And in God's house. There's a table prepared. That is extraordinary. It's luscious. It's powerful. And it's prepared every time. Uniquely for you. Not just everybody else, but there's a table for Brother March. There's a table for Sister Jean. There's a table for Brother Thomas. Amen. Everybody, he's preparing a meal for you. Praise God. And the placeholder doesn't say son of shame. It either says man of God or woman of God. This is your place. Amen. And you can eat in front of your enemies as they watch in their defeat every time the table is there. Table is set this morning. Did you know that? God prepared a table fresh this morning for you. When you walk into the house of God, amen, and you walk into the prayer room, you can already smell the aroma of it. Amen, and you begin to get a taste of what is the main course that's coming on in the service that God is going to usher in to you every time it's there. Every church service with fresh, new delicacies, life-changing experiences, deep things of God. However, so very often, the table is there. The fresh new meal is there. God and our enemy is present and looking on, and for some reason, we do not eat. Mm, mm, mm. Now, I can think of many reasons why somebody would eat just carnally here this morning to be healthy, to enjoy the food, to grow strong to support their purpose, their work. You've got to eat. Brave. Many reasons, but perhaps the simplest reason to eat is just because you're hungry. Is there anybody hungry in the house today? Yes. 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 I, I, don't wanna, I don't want him to prepare me a table and me walk up and say, Well, God, I'm just not hungry today. You mean to tell me I prepared a word for you this morning? I prepared a move of God, a prophecy for you, and you're not hungry. The best reason to eat from the table is that we're hungry. But I can only think of very few reasons that someone would not eat. Sometimes you eat because you're sick. You don't eat because you're sick. Sometimes you don't eat because you've lost the will. Sometimes it's because you're not hungry. But God forbid, you might not eat because quite possibly you're dead. I also don't want God to think that I've got a dead spirit. And if you'll eat from the table today, God will fill you up. Do you know that you can leave this place with all the nutrients you need to make it? You ain't got to leave this place today with worry. You ain't got to leave this place with stress. You don't have to leave this place feeling empty because there's a table prepared. And Lord, I don't want to be the person that just kind of walks by And doesn't partake of it. God's prepared a table. Now, I happen to know that they're building. Thank you, Jesus, a golden corral in Jonesboro. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody ever been to Golden Corral? Say amen. Oh oh, oh, yeah. I love Golden Corral. Uh, Amen. That's a big buffet, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Yeah. If your eyes has ever been bigger than your mouth or your stomach, it's when you go to go growl. But you know what? A big buffet like that does not even compare to what God lays out before us. It don't even come close. Now, you go there; they might have what it is you're craving on that particular day. They might not. But whether you realize it or not, God always has on the table what you need. Maybe you don't even know what you need today. God knows what you need. And He'll give it to you today. And I don't want to be the one that passes by that when It's special prepared for me. Can we stand this morning? Maybe you feel like a son of shame and you hadn't been able to get past what your families lived with for years. Maybe you're not that. Maybe, maybe you feel like a, a son of too many irons in the fire. Maybe you feel like a son of addiction. I don't know what it is, but I do know this there's still a seat for you at the king's table. Amen. There's still a spot that's got your name on it. If you don't walk by and just pass it, he can remove iniquity completely. I've seen families starting with one person. A lot of times, a lot of times the parent in the family or the grandparent come into church And one by one, God breaks that chain of iniquity and their kids and their kids. But it all starts with somebody saying, this is not going to be my heritage. This is not going to be our name. We're going to take on the name of Jesus. And everything's going to change about us. Now, I've talked about repentance this morning. Maybe, Maybe you don't necessarily feel that right now. But like I said, it's always an appropriate time for repentance. That never changes. And so I I just feel like it'd be really good if we have some repentance this morning. Would you lift your hands right now? I I think it'd be great if a spirit of repentance hit this house. Don't, don't rush through it right now. God's trying to, to, to really move and break some chains on some people I feel like right now. I don't want to push past that. And I don't want to push past the table. Come on, lift your voice right now. Talk to God. Talk to God. Repentance don't need to be a fast thing. But Lord, I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. God, I give it to you. I want to break the chains of iniquity that's on me. Lord, take my name and give me a new name today, God. Maybe you've been serving the Lord for many years, but you still struggle with something. God can help you with that right now. He can minister to you right now. You ought to let Him do that. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, break a chain right now in Jesus' name. Remove a struggle right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that that person right now that's pouring themselves out before you, you would act accordingly, God. In the name of Jesus. Oh. up right now amen hey let's start praying in boldness we ought to pray in victory you're no longer a son of shame you're a son of God you're a daughter of God Lord I pray right now you administer peace to somebody give a holy boldness and confidence to somebody Lord picture and a vision of victory to somebody in their mind right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah.